Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. I would like to read tonight from verse 29. Matthew chapter 24. Read from verse 29. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Let's hear the word of God. Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noe were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noe entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh, who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayed his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken, 
The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him as portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is taken from Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 44. And I'm asking the question up front, are you ready for Christ's second coming? Listen to God's words. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. See, Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 44, is all about being ready for the day in which Jesus Christ returns to this earth in power and glory and judges the wicked of the world. These verses appear at the middle of the Olivet Discourse, which began in Matthew chapter 23, 24, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world. And of course, the sermon continued right through the rest of 24, 25. And if you come to chapter 26, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. See, think of the Lord Jesus now. He has went out from the temple. He's departed from the temple at Jerusalem. His disciples approach him as he leaves the temple precinct to show him these beautiful and wonderful buildings. And remember what he said unto them, see ye not all these things. Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And then he crossed the Kidron Valley. And um, he sat down, the Bible tells us, in the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem. And his disciples go to him, no doubt, very perplexed, puzzled. They, they, they ask three things. When shall these things be? That is the destruction of the temple. You see, they could hardly believe it. King Herod had spent 40 years building the temple, and now it's going to be destroyed. Here's the second question they asked. What shall be the sign of thy coming? And then they asked a third question. And of the end of the world. The word world here means age. So from verse 4, all the way down the rest of chapter 24 and into chapter 25, the Lord Jesus is answering their questions. And in his answers, he's addressing all three questions. The destruction of the temple by Emperor Titus took place in AD 70. He talks about the sign of his coming. Look at chapter 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. Joel talks about that. And the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And when that event takes place, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. 
and the end shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And then he also speaks about the third question, about the end of human history as we know it. And that will happen when he returns in power and glory to set up his eternal kingdom and judge the earth. Now, every born-again believer agrees with the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Every born-again believer believes in, at least as far as I'm concerned, in the second coming of Christ. They believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth in power and glory. And it doesn't matter if you're a free Presbyterian or you're a, a good Baptist or, or you go to the gospel hall among the, the brethren or you're Presbyterian or Methodist or Pentecostal or even Church of Ireland or Church of the Nazarene. You see, the believers in all of those congregations believe that Jesus Christ is coming again to this earth. And in every country of the world where there's born-again believers, they believe in and look forward to and maybe even sigh after the personal, visible, bodily return of Jesus Christ in power and glory. Now, what they don't all agree on is what happens before he returns. And they don't agree what happens after he returns. See, they don't all agree the same. Some are premillennialists. Some are amillennialists. Some are postmillennialists. Some are dispensationalists. But they have this in common. They all believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. Do you know that the great preacher George Whitfield in his day, this is written in his biography, a man who was greatly used by the Lord, who saw thousands converted to Christ, especially through that text, marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. This is what he said, and I quote, I am daily watching for the personal, visible, bodily return of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in power and glory. I want to ask the question tonight, do you believe that? Are you amongst those that are always watching and waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth? You see, there's a great tragedy about today, and it's this, so many spend hours arguing about when Christ is coming and Maybe why Christ is coming and what is going to happen after he comes that they never prepare themselves for his coming. You see, this message is all about you being second coming ready. Are you second coming ready tonight? It's a vital part of the whole gospel message. These things are written in the Bible. Not so much that men can be right about the second coming, but that men can be ready. We live in a day when many are fearful about things in the world. Are you fearful about things in the world? I was asked just last week, we dealt with it on Wednesday night in the prayer meeting, is this world out of control? 
See, many are fearful because they're thinking and feeling, but this world can't continue in the state and condition it's in. And many are so fearful that they're turning to other things and turning their ear away from hearing the voice of the Lord. And they're so fearful they're just carrying on life as normal and shrugging their shoulders and so what? And many are so fearful that they're happy to continue in sin. So fearful that they get ready for many other events, different events in their life, different events in the context of family. But here's one event that they're not ready for. And this event is known as the blessed hope of the Christian church. And at the heart of that blessed hope is this. Jesus Christ is coming back. And that's what we want to think about tonight. Three things, very quickly and simply. There's a wonderful certainty regard his coming. If you look at our text, Matthew chapter 24, and it says this in verse 44, Therefore be ye ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Think of the words, the Son of Man cometh. Now, nothing could be simpler. Nothing could be clearer. Nothing could be plainer. The Son of Man cometh. But how do we know it's true? I want you to think about the proclamation of the Scriptures. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and 4, the question is asked, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now we'll pause there. How do we know the promise of his coming? Because of the proclamation of the scriptures. The testimony of the Holy Scriptures. This is the constant theme and proclamation of God's word. Christ's coming is personal. Acts 1 verse 11 uh, we read a tremendous statement as far as his ascension uh, was concerned. In Acts 1 and 11, it asks, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. See, this same Jesus, God the Father is not going to send an angel. He's not going to send Michael. Or Gabriel, he's not going to send a seraphim or cherubim. No, it's the same Jesus. Christ's coming is to be personal. Christ's coming, of course, is physical. We, we have read in our text tonight these words in verse 30, Matthew 24. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. He's not going to be invisible. Every eye shall see him, this same Jesus, because his coming is going to be physical. And I'll tell you something else. His coming is going to be powerful. How do I know that? Because over there in 1 Thessalonians and in chapter 4 and verse 16, which is a, a tremendous chapter of comfort for the people of God, especially concerning those who have died and, and gone home to be with the Lord. This is what um, the, the Apostle Paul, uh, writing to the, the church at Thessalonica, uh, said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 6, 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven 
with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And listen to this. And the dead in Christ, they shall rise first. Christ coming is powerful. And this is really going to happen. Young people, this is actually going to take place. In fact, you can go through the whole Bible and you'll discover proclamation after proclamation about Christ's second coming. And these are literal proclamations. They can't be spiritualized. They can't be idolized. The teaching of the Bible is clear. It, of course, has not been fulfilled yet, but remains to be fulfilled before God as a fixed point in history. And this is the fixed point to which all Bible prophecy at the end time is irresistibly drawing to. And I want to tell you, sinners and Satan, they might mock this truth. They might sneer, where's the promise of his coming, 2 Peter 3 and 4, but they can't alter this glorious truth. That Jesus Christ is coming again. God has his prophetic clock it's ticking. We believe it's almost at the midnight hour. It may even have seconds to go. And God's prophetic clock is fulfilling God's prophetic program. And at the heart of God's prophetic program, you've got the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he said, John 10, 35, the scripture cannot be broken. Christ coming is promised. Not only the proclamation of the scriptures, but think of the promise of the Savior. Over there, and to me, one of the most beautiful, comforting passages that was uttered from the lips of Christ is found in John 14. It was part of the upper room discourse, encouraging and comforting his disciples. And remember he said this in John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen to this, I will come again. That's the promise of the Savior. And receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. You see, Christ's coming is not only going to be personal and physical and powerful, but Christ's coming is even going to be public. Do you know that in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, this is what we read. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. You see, and if you're alive in the earth, you'll see him too with your own eyes. Here's the message of the Bible. The king is coming. I'll give you another reason how we know. Because of the preaching of the saints. I've already mentioned George Whitfield. We could talk about the great men of God in the past. They have preached this message. Along with George Whitfield, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, Campbell Morgan. You see, you and I forget. You and I overlook this truth. But the message that the king is coming should be central to us. Over there in the book of Jude, in Jude 14, we read these words. Jude 14, also Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. 
the seventh from Adam. That, that's near the beginning. He, he, he was a prophet. And what did he preach about? One of the things that he preached about was this biblical truth of the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth in power and glory. And over there in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, we read, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. There's a wonderful certainty regarding his coming. Do you know that there's a clock? I believe it's in Berlin in Germany. It might be in Strasbourg, but it's in one of the two places. And if you were to go and stand and look at that clock, what time is it? I'll look at the clock. You know what that clock actually says? Well, it not only tells you the time, it's a big clock, but round the, the circumference of the clock is these words. The Lord is coming back. Imagine that. You're out sightseeing. You're doing a bit of shopping. You're out for a wee stroll. And you're, you're wondering about the time. And you're looking up to the clock face. And you're, you're thinking, what time is it? And what are you reminded about? The Lord is coming back. See, that's the message of the Bible. It was proclaimed in the scriptures. It was promised by the Savior. And it was preached by the saints of God. The wonderful certainty regarding his coming. I want to tell you something else very quickly. There's a watchful mystery concerning his coming. If you go back to our text, it says this, verse 42, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Verse 44, therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. You see, there's a watchful mystery regarding his coming. Because... His coming is secretly proclaimed. If you look with me at chapter 24, verse 36, it says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. There's a sense of mystery about the second coming of Christ. It's characterized by secrecy. You see, we know the scriptures uses this doctrine to stimulate us to holy living. It's impossible to hold the doctrine of the second coming without striving to live a holy and pure life before God. Because this doctrine is very practical. Isn't this what First um, John uh, was all about? In First uh, John uh, chapter 3, it says, And every man that hath this hope in him, that's the blessed hope of Christ's second coming, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. It was Calvin that said, what we behold, we will have a great effect on what we become. This doctrine leads us to live such a way that we'll hate sin and love righteousness and will not be ashamed of Christ that is coming. This doctrine also brings great comfort and certainty in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our affliction. Think of death coming into your home, taking away a loved one, and it gives help and grace to face that hour of death and overcome its terrors because the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those that are in Christ, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. This, this gives us hope of a resurrection, hope of a new body, hope of a better day. Wasn't this what the psalmist said? 
Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 17, verse 15. As for me, he's speaking personally now, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. In the will of God, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll preach in that text. But even though we know the scriptures uses this doctrine to stimulate the holiness and, and also gives us great comfort and certainty in the midst of our suffering and affliction, there are things that we do not know. Go back to verse 36 of Matthew 24. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. You see, we're not going to be involved in setting dates. Is it this month? Could it be this week? Could it be this day? Could it be this hour? Well, we don't know. Only the Lord knows the future. Notice the text, Matthew 24, 36. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And the God-man, even though he's truly God and truly man, this was information that was exclusive to the Father. And that text alone should stop preachers making false predictions. Did you know there was a preacher called William Miller? And he predicted that the Lord would return to earth on March the 21st, 1843. When it didn't happen, he revised it. It was now the 22nd of October, 1844. And he was so sure, people were so convinced that they quit their job, they sold their possessions to prepare for that day. They became known as the Millerites. And of course, when the 22nd of October happened, 1844, there was great disappointment. It's known as the day of great disappointment because it didn't happen. We could also think about the Seventh-day Adventists. We could think about the Jehovah Witnesses. Do you know the Jehovah Witnesses movement nine times set dates when the world would end? Not the destruction of Jerusalem, not the second coming of Christ, but when the world would end. Here's one of them. 1991. That's only about, what, 32 years ago. 31st of March at 9 a.m., they even said where it was going to happen. You know where it was going to happen? In Australia. Sydney Harbour in Australia. And it was on TV. It was the talk of the streets. It was on the news. Friday morning, one man arrived with a suitcase packed and ready to go. Where are you going? Well, he says, you know what? I don't really believe it. But just in case it's right, I've come prepared with my suitcase. Time passed. Nine o'clock come, nothing happened. 10 a.m., 11 a.m., 12 by one o'clock, they were having parties out in the street. The ungodly were mocking. See, there's a watchful mystery regarding his coming. He's to come secretly. The hour, the day, no man knows. Not even the angels, but my father only. I'll tell you something else about his coming quickly. He's to come suddenly. His coming will be in the twinkling of an eye. It'll be like a thief in the night. You think of a twinkling of an eye for a moment. Those who are eye doctors will tell you that if you blink your eye, you blink in one-fiftieth of a second, whatever that means. Apparently, we have 25 blinks per minute. Now, think of how quickly you can blink your eye. Twinkling of an eye. 
1 Corinthians 15, 52. Twinkling of an eye. And yet you think of people tonight living in their sin. In the context here, the Lord Jesus mentioned the days of Noah. Days of Noah were filled with violence and wickedness. Days of great iniquity and immorality. Also days of normalcy. People doing their own thing, eating and drinking. That's pretty normal, isn't it? Giving in marriage, getting married. See, the Lord Jesus believed in the days of Noah. He believed in Noah's ark. It's mentioned here, Matthew 24. He believed in Noah's flood. It's an historical event. It's mentioned here. He believed in marriage. It took place in Noah's day. One man and one woman. And you think of a bride and groom and they're getting married. And, and they, they've got the dinner ready and they're getting the photographs taken. And all of a sudden the rain begins to fall. And the Bible says the flood came and took them all away. And what does he tell us here? He tells us here this. In relation to Noah and the flood. Verse 39. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, there'll be people at the airport. There'll be people heading down to the docks to get on the boat. In other words, there'll be people sitting in fancy restaurants or in chip shops putting the fish supper into them and people in the shop and people at the bank and people in the school run. Then the Son of Man will come. His coming will be sudden, twinkling of an eye. It'll be so sudden you'll miss it if you're not ready. And isn't it so easy to be deceived? Here's people eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Yes, there's days of violence and wickedness and immorality just like today. But, but there's other people carrying on their normal lives, normal work practice. No indication anything's going to happen. No premonition. No, no rumbling in the sky. Nothing says put off the wedding. Nothing says alter your lives. Of course, there was the preaching of Noah. But he's going to listen to that old fool. He's been preaching there for 120 years and he built a big boat. And there hasn't been a drop of water yet. They think they're safe. Two together in the field. One's ready and one's not. And the one that's ready is taken. The one that's not ready is left. Two at the mill. One's ready and one's not. And the one that's ready is taken. And the one that's not, they are left. I'll tell you something else in closing. There's a warning priority regarding his coming. He says this. Look at verse 42. For therefore be ye also ready. In light of this, that his coming is secret, only the Father knows when. And his coming is sudden. There's a warning priority. Therefore be ye also ready. Being ready involves preparation. Because there's a day of separation coming. Therefore links back to the days of Noah. People were saying in that time, as they said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 3, peace and safety. And then what happened? Sudden destruction. Are you ready? There was a day of sentencing. I believe in the doctrine of eternal punishment. Listen to what we read there in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and in chapter 1 and verse 8. I would encourage you to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. There's only 10 verses. It'll not take you very long. Listen to what it says in verse 8. Maybe for the context, verse 7. Do you hear troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in, in flaming fire 
taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day, a day of sins. And that sentence doesn't just hang in one word. And I know a lot of people rile against the word hell in the Bible. And I know hell can be translated Sheol, which, which is, means the grave. But sometimes words can have dual meanings. And that word Sheol, yes, it can mean the grave, a place where you're put your body six foot under. But it also can mean the place of eternal torment. I believe there's no change, even with the words, in relation to the doctrine of eternal punishment. And therefore it's wise to be ready. A day of separation. A day of sentencing. But a day of surprises. Be ready. Are, are you ready tonight? See, see, I, I say this as we I don't believe there's one here, one listening to me, who intends to lose their soul. You know that you have a soul. You know you need to be saved. You know you need to repent and put your faith and trust in Christ. You don't want to be left, neither in the field or in the mill. But the present danger is this. You're not yet ready. And as W.P. Nicholson said, if you're not caught up, you'll be caught out. And how many is going to be caught out? I would say tonight, avoid procrastination. You cannot afford to say, this is not going to happen. Think of the earthquake in Morocco. Think of the fire in Myri. Over a thousand dead. Over a thousand has perished in that earthquake in Morocco. And I wonder, did they have a prevention strategy in relation to earthquakes in that particular area? You see, they can come suddenly. Even when you're in bed in the middle of the night. Are you ready? How can you be ready? Be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation. Behold, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. And how can you be saved? Come and admit you're a sinner. Come and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. Be willing to live for Christ and confess Christ, not as the ground of salvation, but as the evidence and fruit that you're born of God. If you admit you're a sinner and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are willing to go forth and confess Christ, because remember the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter um, 10, verses 9 and 10, he said this, listen to the word of God as we finish, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. A warning priority regards his coming. Therefore, be you also ready. How can you be ready? You need a prevention strategy when this comes. And that prevention strategy is you repenting of your sin and putting your faith and trust in Christ. He's your Lord and he's your Savior. A day of surprises. Be ready.